Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode six of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down and do a solo episode and discuss the return to play options that we have with various sports and also the strength and conditioning side of that return to play scenarios that we're going to be dealing with the current COVID-19 structure. As I'm sure many of you know, sports are currently in limbo land, and that's just not only from a professional standpoint, uh, but also different youth and collegiate aspects as well. We just really don't know what's going to happen. So I kind of discuss what our plan of action at Thirst is with the current athletes that we work with and how we're not only structuring our training, but how we're going to go about educating coaches and parents about the proper way to get these kids back to not only reduce injury risk, but hopefully have productive seasons and to be able to give these kids and coaches the ability to have a fun and safe season, COVID or not. And if they do, what that timeline might look like and kind of the different variables that we're going to play with to be able to optimize that performance. I also talk about what we've already done at Thirst to be able to try to bridge that gap, so to speak, to be able to get our kids back in the gym in a safe manner so that they're seeing some positive training effects, but also so that we're not killing them and that how we're kind of going about our training structure and how that kind of changes a little bit considering after you come off of a two to three month layoff of pretty much zero training at all, no sports. So it's just just a time that we were not prepared for. I don't think anybody can be prepared for. And it's just kind of a new scenario in not only in strength and conditioning, but sports as a whole and the the annual plan that many coaches and uh, performance coaches and sport coaches go through to be able to give their athletes and their organizations the best chance for success. So I hope you sit down, enjoy the episode. I've got a packed full of a lot of stuff. And like I said, it's a solo episode, so you get to hear my voice for a good solid hour. Enjoy. Hey, this is Brandon Smilly. Today on this episode, I'm going to be doing a solo episode, and we're going to briefly talk about uh, return to play in the athletic realm with the whole COVID-19 situation that we've kind of undergone for the past couple months. As a gym owner, one of my main concerns when I work with athletes in general, and and this is you know not even COVID related to an extent, but it's how we can optimize performance and reduce injury risk, not only in the weight room, but also on the field, court, pool, wrestling mat, you know, whatever your competitive competitive environment might be for that particular athlete. But with the COVID-19 situation that we've kind of all had to undergo for the past couple months, it kind of gives us a, a sticky situation, so to speak. So we're dealing with a, a, a time and a precedent that we've not had to be exposed to before when it comes to training athletes and being able to prepare for sport. And so I briefly kind of want to talk about what what we're doing at Thirst, and I also think from a parent and a sport coach perspective, what you should be doing to try to help optimize not only your your athlete's performance, but also their safety and how we can go about and returning our play back, so to speak, and making that safe and effective for everyone involved. So the first kind of approach here I'm going to talk about is from a sport coach perspective. Because in in my opinion, this is probably where the number one issue is going to be when it comes to uh, injury rates. So I'm mainly right now thinking uh, primarily about potentially baseball and softball athletes, cross-country athletes, and soccer and football. So I'm trying to think of the sports that will basically jump back into some kind of competitive environment, play, competition uh, right out the gate. I think they're going to be the most affected. I think once we start looking into the winter and spring sports, I don't think you're going to have to be too terribly concerned from a youth athlete perspective um, because they are going to be able to get some weight room time, throwing balls around a little bit, um, getting some shots up, and and you know things that, of that nature that I think will help get them back into their sports at a relatively safe manner just because they're going to have more time. But when we're looking at 
summer right now, so you know, in this recording, we're basically going to be looking at June and July. I know personally with our athletes, we're seeing some of our baseball and softball kids go back. We're looking at cross country starting to pick back up. We're looking at football, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to implement some kind of practice or training and getting the kids back into some kind of organized structure. But also we got to look for these athletes. What are they going to do come fall whenever there is a competitive environment that is placed upon them? So like I said, with the athletes here and the sport coaches, the first thing I'm kind of looking at is, you know, you're going to have to ask yourself realistically what is going to happen and what can't happen. So I'm going to kind of think about travel, baseball, and softball because as I'm sure for most of you realize, the actual high school and middle school baseball season, so to speak, are essentially done. They're probably either not going to happen or at this point parents are just kind of um, giving, giving up, so to speak, and saying, you know, we'll focus on next year, which I think at that age, I think for the middle school and under, I think that's probably the best choice is just to kind of um, – subdue and and realize that you know there's many more seasons left let's just you know move on to the next sport if your kid plays more than one sport if you're a high school kid though or you're on that travel team I do think it is more realistic that you will be seeing some playing time and you will be practicing just from what we've seen with our athletes so as a coach I want to say that the first thing you should probably do is try to be able to get some kind of organized structure in with your kids as soon as possible and then also make sure that when you get those practices together that you keep the frequency in mind, the duration in mind, the intensity in mind of what you need to accomplish with your kids. I I, I can't stress this enough, but I would not, please do not run the piss out of them um, to try to make up for lost time. There's no way that you can do that physiologically. It's just not going to happen. I think the best thing that you can do is just ask each individual kid, which is going to be some work. I understand that, but as a coach, that's also part of your job. Ask every kid, you know, what have you been doing? Have you been doing nothing? Have you been doing something? You've been doing some bodyweight stuff. You've been going on some runs. You've been running hills. You know, you've been playing some long toss with a friend. You've been taking some at-bats. Um, you know, you're going on, if you're a cross-country kid, and you know, are you going on your regular three, four-mile runs with not like a hard pace, but, you know, you got you got your legs underneath you still, so to speak, you know, or you be in the couch potato kid that's just basically sat back and watched Netflix and played 2K all day. I, I think there's a big difference in how you are going to structure uh, your practices is going to be kind of based upon that. But, you know, you got to kind of jump back to square one with all these kids. And I don't want to say baby them, but, you know, you got to reintroduce things at a slow pace. Um, so what I'm thinking right now with uh, – with like cross country, you I mean you hope your kids are were running at some kind of capacity, um, but then you know start with your mileage on the relatively lower side of things, and and just make sure that they can start running, and you know maybe even keep your frequency on the lower side instead of running five days a week. Maybe go with just three or four, and give them a day outside if you can get them all together, and you do some body weight cross training where you're going to do, um, you know some push ups and planks and. Um, you maybe got some resistance bands or something that you can do some face pulls and pull aparts and rows and, you know, some lunges and some, some single leg RDLs or some regular RDLs and pull throughs, some stuff like that might be able to help bring back some general strength that they've lost and that will give you a good positive training effect for performance, but not actually crush them in terms of mileage. And then you can start ramping up your mileage over time. And I, I do know that we're on a truncated timetable here. Assuming that your your seasons are going to go, quote-unquote, according to plan, is probably not going to happen. But let's try to optimize what we can early on and then start to blend that specificity back into your sport. So your cross-country kids, that's kind of what I'm looking at right now. First couple weeks, keep the frequency down, keep the mileage down, crank that up slowly over time, and then you can kind of crank your um, intensity harder on like one day and then maybe two days, and then you can have your duration day just how you would normally have in your typical um, cross-country-based layout, so to speak. Um, the The next thing that I would probably recommend is that, you know, from a cross-country perspective, that you emphasize that your kids are doing well on the nutrition front, they're doing well on the hydration front, and that you try to optimize the sleep as well because it's going to be incredibly important because if you do have to kind of cram training a little bit more so than normal, recovery needs to be make sure that it is prioritized. And for many of the high school, 
middle school athletes, we definitely know that that can be a troublesome area in the summer months. Let's talk about baseball and softball now. Um, I know personally at Thirst, we already have some baseball and softball kids that are practicing and doing some travel ball stuff. So I will say that we are kind of fortunate that the kids that we work with, I feel like they're probably relatively prepared. Um, We've been able to be training for a little bit now, so um, they should not be, you know, they will be rusty, so to speak, in terms of throwing and pitching and catching and hitting, uh, running bases. They're going to be a little rusty on that, but I think the fact that we've had them in the weight room doing some strength conditioning, I do think gives them a little bit of a leg up that in terms of general strength and power, we've been able to kind of slowly blend that back to where we were prior to closing. You know, we, when we were closed, we were pretty much in basically preseason. We were basically, for most of our high school kids, we were we were ready to turn on that in-season switch and start dialing down the the volume and the frequency and just be pushing the, the intensity and the power to try to maintain that over the course of the season. But now we're having to switch gears to where we're almost in like a quasi-preseason, end-season thing. So we've had to basically go a couple weeks of preparing the kids to get back into training, not killing them. Um, and then and then introducing back in some of that power and general strength uh, intensities that we would normally like to keep in season to keep them strong and powerful, but so they can also recover and be able to play the numerous amounts of games that they would be subjected to. But right now, I think for your baseball, softball kids, if you're trying to get that travel team going and backing up, um, I know just firsthand from talking to parents and, and athletes that the the practices have been either very low in frequency, and with travel teams, that, that's going to happen, right? I mean, you're talking about kids traveling from all over a certain area and congregating in one space to be able to practice. You can't you know, have four practices a week um, when you got kids driving from all over the state and maybe even from other states. That's just not realistic. Um, so that's where it's going to be kind of important that if you are a baseball or softball kid, uh, my first recommendation would be obviously go to those practices, but try to find a friend from high school so, or middle school or, or you know whoever you can find and get some of that throwing in and some of that long toss and maybe even practicing a little bit of pitching, um, you know, maybe get into some, some hitting if you're able to figure out a cage that you can get to or pitch to each other and get at least a little bit of at-bats and that rotational component of hitting a baseball or a softball, that's probably going to be something that will help you out. I know personally one of the athletes at our gym has been doing that, and I think that's going to kind of hopefully give him not only a leg up, but I think that's going to prepare him for the long haul of this shortened season to help prevent injury. But as coaches, I think also I, I, I don't really know how to how I want to say this, but I think you know, you're definitely going to make sure you – are meticulous with your pitch counts when you're going into games. Under pitch rather than over pitch. Rely on multiple pitchers. Understand that you know your season at this point is um, I don't want to say lost, but it's just not going to be as potentially you know bountiful. Um, and and uh, I don't want to say this. It's not going to be as fruitful as it would have normally been with your regular season. So keep the pitch counts down. Um, introduce things to your kids on the light side, especially when it comes to the running. I think running the poles and the absurd distances, while those are just ridiculous in the first place, I also think that from a performance standpoint, you need to introduce your sprints and your runs between 60 and 75% for the first couple of weeks and make sure you're telling your kids to not be hauling ass right out the gate especially, again, if they've not been doing any running from when you're talking to your players and your athletes, that you get their legs right back up underneath them a little bit and you ease them in, not only in distance, but also in intensity. And then every couple weeks, you know, you're trying to chip that up a little bit, bring the intensity a little higher one day, and then, you know, push the volume a little bit more another day. And I think, you know, you'll get the kids back into a, a rhythm of where their, their hamstrings and their groins, their hip flexors and their calves slash Achilles are, are going to do okay. When it comes to throwing and hitting, we kind of already talked about the pitch count. Um, but when it comes to actual hitting and the long toss, I think the long toss isn't going to be probably too much of an issue. I think kids are probably able at some point to be able to get together and do a little bit of throwing within social distance norms. I think that's definitely you know very realistic in terms of baseball and softball. 
Um, the hitting component is probably going to be the number one thing that's going to be the hardest. Um, so you, again, we were talking about, you know, using multiple pitchers a little bit and, you know, controlling the pitch counts in games. But I also think from a practice standpoint, getting those live at bats is also going to be a little bit more difficult as well because you can't just put one pitcher on the mound for a whole practice and, and have a, a, a type of schedule and rotation. You're kind of bound up with what you have access to. So I do think that, you know, you need to try to use everyone that can pitch as much as possible, um, coaches included, to try to get some of these kids some at-bats, some live at-bats, um, and swinging the bat a little bit and seeing those pitches and just being very careful and cognizant of how you're warming up and making sure they've got plenty of time to get ready for the practices and you're not you're not rushed uh, because then we don't want to see any kind of like oblique strains or rotational based injuries um because as i said as we we know they've probably not been able to swing a bat too frequently and then the last sport uh for coaches comes into football football is definitely going to be one of the hardest ones to work with i think um we've got a lot of different traits and components in football that we don't have in other sports um, the physicality is definitely one of the major ones that's coming to mind right now. The fact that we've got these pads and helmets and we're hitting each other, you know, not only on game night, but you've got to, you've got to do some scrimmaging and some drills in practice to be able to, you know, get used to those hits and, and practice the plays and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you've also obviously got the heat that's coming. Many kids have been sitting in the AC and not doing a whole lot. We've also got a running component, so if the kids have not been outside doing any kind of sprints, which in more cases than not they haven't, then we've also got to start worrying about, like we said, the hamstrings and the groins and the calves and the hip flexors. But then we've also got to talk about the strength component because lifting and the strength and power training of football is generally a big component of that sport, and we're bigger in physical specimen is probably going to be a better football player uh, especially when it comes to like linemen um, so we got to think about that and how we're going to potentially try to get these kids back into the weight room so to speak and try to be able to develop some general strength and power so that we can perform our best on Friday nights and for me personally if assuming that the games start the way they're supposed to which I think here in Indiana Generally, the first um, the first football game would have probably been about mid-August-ish, give or take. Um, if I had to guess, that we will probably see that first game pushed back a couple weeks. I've not heard exactly, and I still think that is an unknown for us, but I'm hoping that at a minimum it gets pushed back a couple weeks to be able to give the coaches and the athletes the time to prepare for that first game. Because at this point, every week is a crucial week. There's, there's really not a non-crucial week. The deloading week that probably happens sometimes in the summer here and there probably cannot happen once we're able to kick back up. We're almost going to have to go full bore into the season until we get a bye week um, at the high school level. So for me personally, the way I'm kind of looking at this, if for our kids are technically expected to be able to go back and do stuff with the school, this would be all sports, I guess, technically, but July 1st. So for the the football kids, you know, let's say July 1st is the the first day, whatever day of the week that happens to be. Um, I think the first couple weeks definitely need to be heavy on the strength and conditioning side, low on the actual football side. I think we, um, personally, if it was me, if you already know your kids that are coming in and you know your playbook, I would already get your playbook in your high school kids' hands if you haven't done so already. Um, they may not have a complete understanding of it, but if there's a couple, you know, like, hey, if you know you're in a defensive lineman, you should know these three to five basic plays. You know, do your best to know these. And maybe from the mental standpoint, you can get them known so that when you actually get on the field and practice, um, that's a little bit less work that you have to do. I know you still got to run the plays and get to practice. I'm not saying that's not important, but if you can cover the cerebral aspect of the sport, during this downtime, that might be something you can do to catapult yourself forward here whenever August and September come around. But anyways, I'm assuming July 1st kicks in. I think the strength and conditioning component is going to be one of the most important things. The first two weeks, I don't know I personally probably would only have them in three days a week uh, with one run day. If, I, if it was me, we would probably do the first couple of weeks would probably be almost all full body. 
Um, there'd be no testing, um, no maximal lifting. Everything would be almost circuit-based fashion, in my opinion. Uh, we would stick with big basics, especially with your – I would have put my freshmen in their own group, but that's just me. Um, but you would put all your athletes in there and have your basic movement patterns that you need drilled, goblet squats, push-ups, lunges, pull-ups and chins, inverted rows, dumbbell rows, barbell rows, chest porter rows, um, you know, RDLs. Um, kettlebell swings, carries, you know, wh- whatever your program likes to use. Just pick big quality, basic movements, things that the kids can master and they're going to see again. And, you know, that would be fundamentals and staples in your strength and conditioning program anyways, or should be. Um, I wouldn't even, again, I probably wouldn't even worry about the Olympic lifts at this point. Uh, we're talking about standard GPP and conditioning three days a week, doing that full body and trying to get these kids GPP up from a weight room perspective. And then each week you can kind of slowly ramp those weights up and maybe give them a little bit more rest um, so you can kind of transition to a bit of a strength and power segment of a strength and conditioning aspect um, so that you basically would, you know, almost have like a ramp-up period. Um, instead of, a peak, you know, a peaking, you would pull back. Um, after you've basically done all your main work, you start scaling things back so they can recover. After the hard intensity, we would basically do the opposite. We'd be trying to scale up. And I think Jason Nunn, on one of my episodes I've already done, has kind of talked about that. So that's personally what I would do about the first two to three weeks. And then, like I said, I would have one run day. And early on, kind of like how we talked with baseball and even cross-country a little bit, you're going to keep your volume low to moderate. You're going to keep keep your intensity low to moderate, and you're basically going to get these kids' legs back up underneath them. So, you know, if you want to run 40s, maybe we're running, you know, over the course of a week in that one session. Because you only got one session for those couple weeks, maybe you're going to run 6 to 10 40s at 60 75%, and that's about it. You know, maybe do some change of direction drills as well. Once you're done, you're doing maybe some um, – some slow routes outside with the receivers or the DBs um, and your linebackers are, you know, maybe running some, some different 10 yard stuff, 15 yard stuff. Um, and then your linemen are maybe pushing some sleds, um, maybe just practicing what their, what their plays are um, with, you know, no pads or anything. And you're just kind of getting some change of direction involved with your athletes at very lower volumes <clears throat> and intensity so that they're at least used to that cutting and change of direction. I don't think you kill them. And then once you know you start getting towards the tail end of July, I think then you start actually increasing your running a little bit. Um, so you might have two days of actual running slash conditioning. Um, you've probably got two days that you're going to be actually outside doing some actual live football, assuming the social distancing and stuff. What we hear from that, but again, I guess you're probably going to practice football two or three days. And then you probably have two or three days of lifting. And, you know, obviously you're going to have to have some two-a-days there. Um, so you would want to be smart about how you, how you have that laid out. What I've kind of briefly drawn up with myself, I, again, I'm not a football guy, so please, if there's any of this offends you or you think is wrong, this is just the way that I'm looking at it from a performance coach perspective. This is I'm not talking football. I'm talking about performance and recovery. Um, if it was me, I would almost kind of use like a Charlie Francis high-low system um, I would put all your high-intensity stuff on one day, all your low-intensity stuff on another, and then use that to make your decisions. So if you're going to sprint your kids, I would definitely say the day that you um, that you want to do your power cleans or your back squat or your front squat, you get your sprints in. So I would say get them outside, um, get your short-intensity, uh, short-distance, high-intensity sprints done, go in the weight room, get your cleans, get your front squat, back squat, little bit of lower body accessory get rid of them um maybe watch them film in the evening or you know tell them to go home and watch them prep you know read up on the plays uh on tuesday the next day would probably actually be a low intensity day uh in terms of everything so that's where you would actually probably run straight up practices no hitting so you're going to practice all your plays um you're going to do your walkthroughs and and then maybe you do a tempo run at the end of that to where you kind of have the kids run a couple 40s at, you know, RP 5, 6, just to kind of keep their legs underneath them. You know, Wednesday is probably going to be an upper body strength day. So, again, you can um, do some change of direction that day outside. Do your change of direction stuff to where your intensity is not too hard, um, but you're going to maybe practice some of those zigzag patterns, 
Um, maybe you'd even do some routes. Maybe you'd make it a little bit, you know, sports specific, so to speak, for some of your wide receivers and your running backs. Um, but then you go in the weight room, get your upper body lift in, and then you pretty much call it a day. You could come back in the evening and do something if you had to. And then I would probably make Friday my full body training day. Um, so from a strength conditioning perspective, use that as your day to make up all your fluff that you didn't get. Um, and then Thursday I would probably actually practice hard. Talk about Friday being that um, full body training day and then a little bit more running or football in the evening um, after you've got those lifts in and your, your body's going to be able to handle that and then you're probably good to go. That's just a brief sketch of what I have written down here on this piece of paper. I don't think it's the end-all be-all. This is just kind of the way I'm looking at the high-low perspective. So to give you an idea what that means, any of your athletic endeavors that are high intensity. So we're talking about sprinting hard, running hard, lifting heavy, lifting fast. Um, Those are very hard on the nervous system. Those are called a high output day. You want to stack those stimuli together because to have multiple stimulations of high nervous system output over the course of a week can drain a kid out. It can lead to overtraining. It can lead to injury and overuse. So you put all your eggs in one basket and you tack it all in one day to be able to limit that because by the time the nervous system responds, you're done training and you got a day coming of quote-unquote recovery, which is your low day. And we talked about you know doing some light tempo runs and some walkthroughs and doing stuff that's not necessarily going to beat them up. It's productive, but the intensity is low. We're not talking about things that are going to um, cause pull hamstrings and groins and uh, things like that. And then you basically just kind of alternate and stagger through. Um, I pretty much laid that out where I was having them, you know, do the the high intensity stuff on Monday and Thursday, with a low day on Tuesday, a moderate day on Wednesday and. Um, Friday, so to speak, and you know you can de- definitely shift that around a little bit. Um, the in- high intensity day that I was talking about, full pads and getting after it like crazy, was on Thursday. Um, I understand that most football programs are going to get in pads more than that, but again, we're talking about rep- return to play. I'm not talking about what you would normally be doing because generally, what you normally do, and you already have your spring practice done, and you already have um, you know everything that you do at the end of season, and you've already had your offseason strength conditioning program, so your strength your strength and conditioning program is going to look differently because you've been training since January. You've built your strength and power up considerably because you've not been able to be outside and now you're trying to optimize your time outside. What we're basically talking about now is your off season was taken away from you. And so you've got to be able to phase these kids back in appropriately and be able to ensure that their training is not only effective, but we're, we're trying to figure out how can we train all these qualities in such a short period amount of time and, you know, not see injury increases, but also see performance increases, but also see a productive time with each week. Because you got to get your running in, you got to get your practices, you got to get your lifts. That there's that's the three hard things that are hard to manage. And so when I laid it out on a piece of paper, that's what I saw. Um, you know, your two a day things. If you're going to have one of those high days, you need to have all your high days in the morning or in the evening. Pick what it's going to be. Um, you know, personally, I'd probably put in the evening myself, but, um, you know, whatever you're going to do when you come back to the next section, it needs to be the opposite. You can't have a high intensity run in the morning and a high intensity lift in the evening or a high intensity practice and then a high intensity lift, um, in the evening, you know, by that time, the nervous system is going to start to drain down the body and you're going to see a performance decrease in the second session, regardless from which one it is, which is why I said I would put the high intensity at the second session of the day if you do two-a-days um, so that your low stuff doesn't affect your high stuff <clears throat> because your high stuff will affect your low stuff if it's not given enough time. So um, it's okay to have that low day the next day because you already are kind of banged up a little bit. You shouldn't see a, a huge decrease the next day because you've been able to sleep and get food and water and hydrate. You've been able to aid that recovery process a little bit. But if you're going to have your high-intensity day at, say, 7 in the morning, and then you come back at 5 at night to get your lift in, or even 4 o'clock, and whatever you have your kids come in, you know, there's probably a good chance that they're going to be drained. Um, Being out in the sun and then being able to go home and and barely eat and drink anything, they're probably going to goof off more than actually focus on the recovery. Okay, so now that we've talked about that from the football perspective of getting back into doing actual football, (coughs) excuse me, we're kind of looking at um, 
the August time frame now, and this would be basically your preseason. And this is where you would basically take your regular preseason stuff that you normally would be doing, but you're going to have to shorten it up in terms of time frame. Um, your lifting is probably going to drop down to twice a week until you actually get into games, and you're going to have to make those full body sessions. I mean, I know football loves the lower upper full, but um, you know when you got, you're on this time crunch, you're going to have to do full body training. Um, you're going to have to squat on one day, trap bar deadlift, or clean. Um, you're going to have to press on one day, and you may have to even press two days a week. Barbell one day, dumbbell the next with an incline. Back work's got to be in every day. Single leg work's got to be in every day. Um, so, you know, your, your your programming almost lays itself out with twice a week if you pick your your exercise choices uh, correctly. Um, you don't have to do a whole lot of thinking in terms of the pro- programming, to be honest, because you got to say, well, we've got – 45 to 60 minutes to get in the weight room, what are we going to do? All right, well, we're going to clean. We're going to front squat or back squat, depending on what kind of program you're in. Um, you know, we're going to bench press or floor press. We're going to do some dumbbell pressing. So that's going to you're going to split those days up. We're going to do plenty of rows. So you probably put a little bit of rowing on each day, or you put a row on one day and a chin on the next. You got to talk about your hamstring prehab protocols that you're going to be putting in place, whether that be single leg RDLs, regular RDLs. Um, leg curls, your glute ham raises, your your back extensions, reverse hypers, depending on what you got on a facility, um, and then you know your your abdominal trunk work and maybe some arm fluff and buff um, to kind of get the kids pumped up a little bit and put some meat on, keep some meat on their arms. Um, but uh, I mean, the, like I said, the training should be relatively simple at that point. And that's where you would push your football, and then your your running, so to speak would also kind of amp up a little bit to make sure that they're conditioned. I do think that when it comes to the running and the conditioning, hopefully the three weeks or so in July that you're running your GPP, you get your kids' aerobic capacity up just naturally. Um, I know people are wanting to do the conditioning tests, but I, I almost wonder if right now the conditioning tests are a waste of time with the kind of timetables that we're working with. I know you want your kids conditioned, but... If you destroy them via conditioning, <clears throat> your strength and power and everything you need to do outside is going to suffer. And we have to kind of figure out what is the priority in terms of football. And in, in my opinion, strength and power is far more of a priority in high school football than it is the being able to run 2110s or, or whatever the conditioning test is. Um, you can build that kind of conditioning in your strength and conditioning program if you monitor your your worst your work and rest ratios, you, you're you're supersetting all of your exercises. You're getting your sprint work in um, early, and you're controlling your rest intervals there. And then you know they're outside practicing the sport, which is very um, you know very similar to the game, how the way that it moves, especially when you're scrimmaging. Um, I just think it's ridiculous to be trying to cram these kids with the um, with the the work demands of a conditioning chest just to say these kids passed and these kids couldn't pass. I don't think that's the right way to go with this kind of whole COVID situation. I just don't. I just don't think there's enough time. Um, That's just my professional, honest opinion. And I think if you really want to try to get the kids in shape, you bust their chops in the freaking weight room and you you explain how important the weight room is right now um, and how that can be potentially a, a game changer for your season, not only in terms of your injury rates, but also in terms of your conditioning. Um, Because you can get a lot done in that 45 to 60 minutes in the weight room, especially if you're willing to prioritize it and set it up correctly. And then once you obviously get into the season, then um, you obviously would kind of keep everything similar to what you would have been doing. The only big change that I would make is I would try to do the best to get the kids as strong as possible even in season. I would personally... Make sure that they know they need to be busting it hard in the weight room um, because they didn't get that ability to get it in the off season this year. And so they can have some basically, quote-unquote, free newbie gains that are right there. Um, this is the low-hanging fruit, as my man Lucas would say. Um, it's available to you to be able to aid your program throughout the season because, as we've said, we don't know what the season is going to look like yet. Um, it could be shortened. It could be modified. It could be normal. It, it, it could be anything. It could be a mix of all those to an extent. You know, it could be just three or four local games, and then they throw you into sectionals with random seating. We we, we don't know, and that's that's the hardest thing from a performance perspective, um, especially someone like me who tries to think about 
training cycles and, you know, controlling adaptations, it's kind of hard to know how to control adaptations if you don't have a timeline of where each adaptation needs to be able to switch or turn on and off. Um, you're basically got all your switches kind of on a dimmer switch of medium. I don't know whether I'm going up or down yet. We're just going to kind of go medium across the board and, and adjust each dimmer switch until we get more data available to us from either the high schools, the coaches, the athletes, the governing bodies, um, you know, all, all of that stuff. So that I think kind of covers all the major sports um, that we're kind of looking at right now at Thurst, and I think that we'll see with a, a summer slash fall perspective. Um, I don't think there's one that's going to be any better um, than the other in terms of how they prepare. I think they're all going to have their unique issues placed before them. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, from a weight room perspective, um, especially me being a, a gym owner, what are we doing to help prepare our athletes for their coming seasons or, or the whole COVID um, situation that has kind of taken place? And so I'm going to kind of backtrack here a little bit and talk about um, – what we have done since we were able to start working with athletes again, and then what I'm kind of looking at now as an owner and writing training programs and what I, I hope to be able to um, get from not only my kids, but um, what I can get the parents to understand from me as well. So the very first thing that we did whenever we had everybody come in, um, we had them do their standard warm-ups, and we just kind of let every kid and client know that no matter where your training is at, you know where we left off, we're going to keep your training program the same. We're not going to change the exercise or anything because at this point, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter if we squat or if we deadlift or um, if we RDL or if we're in a if we were in a preseason or in season. Honestly, it doesn't matter. It's been so long since you've trained. Anything right now is going to make you not only sore, but provide a positive adaptation to get you back into a similar training state that you were when you left us so you know we're talking two to three months is there detraining that occurs absolutely but for many of these kids they're so they're so young and they're so ripe that they will adapt quickly back to what they're doing so we basically just told them that you know we're going to keep your training program the same right now um and then once we finish this one up that you were on, then we will make the decision then, or I will when I'm writing your training program, about what we need to do after I've talked to your parents and you and we kind of have a better understanding of what's going to happen. Because again, at this point, we still had no idea whether the kids were going to play or not. So there's no reason to try to write a training program to to increase you know, a, a certain kind of a trait when we don't even know, like I said earlier, what we're trying to actually even chase in the first place. So we let them come in, do their standard training, <clears throat> and we told them that for the most part, you would take one working set off of your entire training program that you had. So if you had four sets of box jumps, you're only doing three right now. If you had, you know, five sets of five on front squat, we're doing four sets of five on front squat. The other thing that we told them is, that no matter what the weights were that you left off with, do not go to those weights until you are absolutely positive that it feels easy when you're working up. So most of our kids, if they were front squatting 135, you know, they're probably only front squatting 115 for their five. So, you know, we already are dropping the weight down 20%. We're just going to grease the groove. We're going to get you back in the weight room, get you back into some weight room-based shape. Um, we're not going to try to obliterate you. We just want you to get used to the barbell because, or the dumbbell or the kettlebell the implement, whatever. Um, because like we said, it's been so long since you've trained, we're probably going to get a positive training adaptation regardless of what we do. So long as that we're doing the, the exercises and the program, the way that we have it written out, you're going to see a positive training effect. So let's just take the free newbie gains again and, and kind of roll with that. And we kind of did that for about two weeks. Um, and we kind of went kid by kid basis. We communicated with them and their parents, and we said, you know, if things are starting to feel good, and you know that after that first week or two, you weren't that sore, you know, you were like, yeah, I was a little tender. I can tell I got some good weight room work in, but I'm not like banged up. Okay, then we're gonna let you start jumping back in and start pushing the weights a little bit more. We've kind of phased you back in. Um, we'll generally when kids 
start a trading program, I first week I usually have their volume a little bit on the lower side, and the volume ramps up over week two and week three, and then usually week four, the volume drops, the intensity cranks, and then we rinse and repeat. So we kind of go through this, um, I don't want to call it a peaking phase, but basically we try to teach them exercises and get them stronger, build up some volume, accumulate some fatigue, and then we pull back a little bit and give them basically an intensity week where we let them get a little bit harder. Um, we still use a concurrent method would pretty much 99% of our athletes, regardless of what they do, in terms of how we train all their their qualities year-round, we just push and pull variables and manip- manipulate what we need to based on time of year. And as of right now, with the whole COVID thing, that is definitely one of the most challenging aspects that we've had, right? I mean, we it's, it's hard to push a power aspect of training when, A, we've not even had you in the weight room for two to three months. So um, what's the point of pushing power right now where we can just benefit from some general strength and hypertrophy? And then the second thing is, do we really need to push our power training right now if we don't know when the next game is going to be? That's the hard part because next thing you know, three weeks later, hey, coach, I got a game. Well, crud, we were not preparing for that. But with a good thing with the concurrent model is at least we know we were doing some power training. We're doing some strength training. We're doing some kind of unilateral work. We were doing some kind of core work. We were doing some kind of hypertrophy-based work for a weak or lagging muscle group. We had our mobility and soft tissue care in. We had our breathing stuff in place. All that stuff is in year-round. We just push and pull what we need to push and pull based upon what we're finding out with the sports and the athletes and the kid and the coaches and, and, and all that, right? So um, we're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to balance that. And so once we had those couple weeks of basically ramping them back in and, and getting them back to where they felt okay, um, then we kind of just had to communicate with each and every single kid, which as I talked about earlier in the podcast from a sport coach perspective, it is time intensive, but that's also part of my job to communicate with the parents and the athletes and try to figure out what we're, what's going to happen um, you know, how serious they're going to take it. Because I think that's another thing, too, is that, you know, uh, I think of one particular kid that I know that he's 10. And he, I know he's going to be playing baseball. And uh, after talking with Dad, um, Dad's like, I don't know if I even want him to play baseball. I mean, what What is the point? What do we have to gain from playing a couple games of 10-year-old age baseball when we've got more time? And we don't even know what's going to happen from a rules perspective. Is it going to even be fun? You know, is this going to be a positive experience or a negative experience for my kid? And I, I totally understand that. And, you know, as a 10-year-old, I'm not going to try to peek him for a for a baseball game. It's absolutely ridiculous. But the only thing is, is that we're just, if he's going to play baseball, then I want to keep the rotational components in of where we're doing, you know, like some band pallet holds and we're doing some med ball throws. And, you know, we're going to start – doing our lunges in the sagittal plane and and, and moving in different planes where if he's not, then maybe we're just going to do some split squats because we can benefit from the general training structure. We don't need to be in a triplanar movement if we're not going to be playing any baseball with our single leg pattern because, you know, as, as... as a kid is playing sports, we're going to decrease our training volume, so we got to be a little more picky on our exercise selection. But... At 10, maybe not so much, but that was just to give you an example. Um, so, you know, what what do we do when we talk to these parents and the kid's not interested? So if the kid does not want to play baseball or is not that interested, he's like, ah, you know, I'm just going to do it just to have fun. I don't really care about it. Okay, then we're just going to make your training general in nature then. There, there's no reason to try to make your training specific if you're not going to take it seriously. But on the other hand, you know, we got a baseball player that um, is doing some pretty serious travel ball I'm probably going to try to communicate with that kid and make sure that his training program is as good as I can possibly get it from the information that I know so that when if he has to go on the mountain and throw or if he's got to step up the plate and take a big, big swing, he's ready to deliver. Um, you know, he's going to be a junior and he's playing in front of scouts and he's trying to, you know, play Division One uh, sport with baseball. I, I, I got to do my due diligence and try to give him the best chance for success from all our end in the weight room. So um, it's been a nightmare, so to speak, from a from a programming perspective. Anyone that's done enough training programs where they've had to work with athletes and people in a in a, a long term um, how do I want to say this in a in a 
long-term approach of how they're thinking about working with their kids and their clients, that's been out the window for me for uh, since basically mid-March. And it, it's had me try to have to think about what is important, what is not, how can we get our kids to safely return back to play with minimal injury risks, <clears throat> hopefully none on our end since we're able to, to train our kids because I know that not every kid has that luxury. Um, but how can we set our kids up to be able to stay injury-free, have a fun, productive season, um, but also maybe benefit and you know maybe use this time of uncertainty to be a time where they can stand out and show that they were working hard um, and that they they were taking their stuff serious during the quote unquote COVID off season. Um, that's a very to me that's a very unique thing that I think a lot of high school kids could put in their back pocket from a recruiting perspective if they are getting recruited. Um, say hey man I'm I'm at thirst training I was out throwing balls or I was out running my three to five milers and, and hauling but I was running hill sprints um, I was doing these things to try to give myself an edge so that I could have a productive 2020 season or 2021 for next season so um, yeah that's that's the way that I'm looking at that perspective from the training side I will also say that the other hard part that we're having right now is um, I'm having to actually program a little bit more running Rightfully so, right? Because we know that for our, our cross-country runners, <coughs> excuse me, our cross-country runners, so to speak, though, have not had to worry about because, you know, they can just kind of go out and run. Um, but our baseball, softball, and um, football, we've had to be adding in some running components, whether it's sprint with prowlers or doing some 10, 15-yard sprints some change of direction stuff, um, getting them on the, the bike and the rower, um, with some interval-based stuff to, to try to try to develop some energy system um, adaptations so that when they do go back outside, they're, they're used to those demands of hauling ass for 8 to 12 seconds um, and then getting a little bit of a break and doing it repeatedly over time. Um, I do think that that's important. That's something that I've been finding myself programming more of that I don't want to say that I ignored, but it's way more important for me to do it now than it has been. Right, because if I'm working with an athlete that's probably playing sports almost year round, so to speak, um, you know, we're talking if they go from football to basketball to baseball or across country to basketball to track, like there's you know, they're, they basically don't ever have a true time off. Their time off is changing sports, but they're always conditioned, they're always conditioned to some degree. And then they've got to get their conditioning and their their energy system development to shift back and forth, whether it be from cross country to basketball to track and field, for example, or if they're doing baseball to um, they're doing baseball to track and field, you know, or baseball to cross country. I'm sorry, but those are two completely different energy systems, and you know that but they're going to phase their training in, so to speak, whenever they're changing sports. But right now, because I've had kids that have had two to three months of not only detraining, but next to no training, and from an aerobic system, from an anaerobic, sorry, energy system development, I'm getting ahead of myself here, from an energy system development standpoint, they've been not doing anything aerobically or anaerobically, they've just been a couch potato, or they've been maybe going for a three mile run if they're a cross country runner, but not at the intensity they're used at, used to be training at, well... Now is my job where I've got to try to give them that training stimulus to aid them so when they go back, they hopefully have a little bit of a leg up on the competition or they're there and they can work hard and not feel like death whenever they do it. You know, they have, they're set up for a little bit of success in the performance standpoint, so to speak. So it's not that I'm, I don't program energy system development or anything like that. I certainly do. But it's just, it's just been very difficult to try to figure out how I'm going to balance that from not only kid to kid, but sport to sport, and doing it in a safe and effective manner when I'm also doing their power, their strength, and their conditioning. It's just, it's, it's a lot. It is a lot, and then we're working with kids two or three times a week. I mean, you are very limited. you got slim pickings on what you can put in a training program and what you can't. So that's how I'm also looking at working with the kids' um, training programs in that regard. 
the final thing I'm going to talk about is um, I, I guess I really want to talk this part to more coaches and parents than the athletes and it's not even really talk about the athletic endeavor side of things so to speak but my recommendation to the sport coaches is please 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 do not kill your kids when they come back please do not kill your kids when they come back you will be setting yourself up for a big disastrous long end season of not only injuries but kids are going to hate you they're you're not going to have a productive i can't even call this an off season but you're not going to have a productive preseason into fall sports it's just not going to happen give your kids the proper amount of time the best you can to adapt to the training that you want them to do um, so if you want them to run 2040s start off with just 10 they're going to they're going to see a positive training effect we have to remember that part of, as a performance coach that's my number one job but also another part of my job is to try to help educate sport coaches and that if you're going to try to run them, what, what's, why are you running kids in the first place? Usually it's because you're trying to develop an energy system in a certain specific manner because you quote-unquote want them conditioned or in shape or four quarters in shape or, or whatever you, you coaches want to call it. You're chasing an adaptation. If 10 40-yard dashes can get your kid a training adaptation, then why are we going to run 20? Okay, we have to think of it like that. It's not that I don't think that they shouldn't be able to run 2040s. It's that it, the 2040s is going to be spilling them over their glass of water. With the whole COVID-19 situation, who went from having a 20-ounce glass relatively full with your off-season with the, the strength and conditioning training and probably doing a little bit of runs or speed and agility inside, you know, you, you had them at like the 70-80% of the way full where you could have pushed more, but you're not playing football. You were saving that space for when you were going to play football because you're going to have to pour some of that water out to make room for the football, right? But right now, if you take them outside and you have, you're talking about a kid that's maybe got 10 to 20% of the water in that water bottle right now because that's all he's done is sit outside and maybe throw the football around. Like his recovery has really got a lot of room for it. But if you're going to start dumping in 20 ounces, or I'm sorry, 20% of, 25% of strength training, 25% of running, and then you're going to start running in uh, 25% of football. Well, you just threw in 75% on a on a 20 to 30% full bottle. You're probably going to spill over. And you're going to push your chances. And then from a conditioning standpoint, like I said, if you if you only need 25% to get it full and to try to maximize what you can, and that 25% that you're putting in the water bottle is 1040s. But you give them 20, that's 50%. You're way overspilled on your 20-ounce glass. That might be a kind of a confusing way to look at it, but just use the, the glass half-empty, half half-full kind of scenario. Right now, our kids' glasses are half-empty. So when we go to fill it back up, we can't fill it up too much too soon. We've got to just you know dabble in a little bit, dabble in a little bit, and watch what happens you know, because they're, they are going to overflow at some point if you just throw it at them too quickly. So please don't run the piss out of your kids. Don't kill them. I understand that you got to make up for lost time somehow. I personally think of the sport of football. I think that comes down to um, low-intensity plays and educating, and if they got iPads or whatever it is that you guys use for their plays, um, I think they need to be spending a lot of time on that. Um, that's probably where you're going to be able to get a lot of football, quote-unquote, practice without killing them. Then when you get out on the field, hopefully you're fixing less mistakes and you're having more productivity running your practices, and then you got your strength and conditioning and you're running and all that kind of stuff. So ease your running in. Make your lifting general in nature. Don't max them out. Um, don't test them. The testing doesn't tell you anything right now. You already know they haven't been training. You don't need a one-rep back squat or power clean or bench press to tell you they weren't training. You know where they're at. They're, they are nowhere near where they should be in terms of their strength. You don't need that one rep max test to tell you what it is so that you can, you can make yourself feel good about what your training program did for these kids in eight weeks. Anybody can get anybody stronger in eight weeks after they've not trained for 12 to 14 weeks. I can tell you that right now. So don't worry about the one rep max testing. Don't kill them on the field with the running. Just do your best to ease them in. And, and do your best to try to keep them safe. And I think in the long run for the season, that's what's going to be best. Now, for the parents, my recommendation 
is going to be to try to nudge your kid into doing something. Something. I don't care what it is. If you are in somewhere else other than Indiana, because like Indiana right now, we're a little bit, uh, we happen to be the right color state, I guess. We have a little more freedom in a lot of what we're, what we're allowed to do. And like I said, I know football for here is not going to start to July 1, but even not even talking about football, just baseball and, and cross country and soccer. I didn't even talk about soccer, but um, it's kind of a blend between the others. But um, with with those other sports, um, if you don't know what's going on, they just need to do something. Um, if it's cross country, they need to be running on their own. It doesn't have to be incre- incredibly structured, but I do think that they should be out there running three to four days a week on their own with a minimum of two to three miles at a time, um, maybe with one intense run day and one distance run day where maybe they hit the, the five, the five-and-a-half-mile mark if they build up to it. Um, your baseball kids, try to in, go out and play catch with them or – you know, let them try to do something friends within social distancing standards where they can play some long toss and pitch to each other. Um, if batting cages are open in your area, um, let your kids go to the batting cages and take some swings at the balls and, and, and ease them that way. Um, you know, if you're soccer, get with a friend and practice some foot dribbling drills, but at the same time, go find some hills um, and, and run some sprints up some hills, do some change of direction stuff, just go buy some cheap-ass cones from Walmart or whatever, Google google cone drills and just and do some of that so you're doing some change of direction do something that's not related to your sport that's for, for all kids just in general but do something that's not sport specific so um you know if you're a football player go outside and shoot basketball with your friends a little bit um anything that you can do like that that's going to keep you active and jumping and running and throwing and kicking if that's what part of your sport entails, I think is the, one of the best things you can do until there is some kind of structured practice and return to play action um, in terms of the, the, the foot and the leg kind of um, injury issues that we would probably see with probably, <clears throat> he has talked about hamstring, groins, hip flexors, Achilles, knees, ankles. Um, that's probably where we're going to see a lot of your issues. Baseball, it's probably going to be um, shoulder, elbow with your pitchers and your throwers, um, maybe some oblique stuff from rotational-based stuff. So that's why I talked about getting in there and, and hitting some bat or hitting some balls, I'm sorry, if you're able to. Um, and then the the other major thing is to use this time to talk about um, the value of proper nutrition, sleep, rest, making smart choices. Because if you're sitting at home, school's probably done right now. The only thing for most kids if they've got anything going on is probably a part-time job. Um, which I, I, I'm totally for that, for that. I think it's good. It teaches them responsibility and ownership. Um, not only that, but they also going to make a little bit of money so they're going to have fun. They're not draining your own pockets as a parent. But um, I think to be able to teach them, you know, you know, you need to have protein in each meal. We need to try to eat something at color of each meal. We need to drink ample amount of water. We need to make sure we're staying away from sugary drinks and fruit juices. We need to try to actually eat whole fruits and whole vegetables. We need to make smart carbohydrate choices, so potatoes and oatmeal um, and, and quality green breads. And, you know, for your, for your hard grainers, more pasta-related stuff, um, what healthy fats are that we don't just eat peanut butter. There's um, different types of oils and avocados and nuts and seeds and eggs um, and the fattier types of fish and steak. Um, those are all quality, good, high fats that do a good job in aiding in energy. So um, use this time to like take all these, these, these free things that are available um, if you have to do some Googling and some research, go to precisionnutrition.com um, and, and just read some of their stuff there about general nutrition habits and serving sizes. Um, find a strength coach or a nutritionist or a personal trainer in your area that's highly respected and talk to them about how that might be able to aid their their child or their um, the athlete um, and, and talk about that. And then also building good sleep quality patterns and habits and how that can um, maximize the recovery. I know it's summer right now, and most kids are probably able to sleep, I don't want to say as much as they want, but it's probably pretty damn close, that it's still important that we don't stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning playing Fortnite, and that we get up at noon. That that really messes with our circadian rhythm. And I can tell you that, you know, many people know that I'm almost like a zombie. I'm, I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a workhorse, but, I mean, I, I put in some grueling hours 
based upon my job, but I, I do my best to get my naps and maximize my sleep. And the days that I'm able to, um, I'm not sleeping in like crazy. I did a little bit during the COVID thing. I kind of used myself like a, a little bit of a, a uh, vacation, so to speak, or staycation, I guess. But, um, you know, most of the times I was still up by, by 9 or 10 o'clock. Um, and I wouldn't stay up ridiculously late. I might stay up to 1 o'clock here and there, but most cases I was probably in bed before midnight, which for me is late whenever I normally go to bed between 10 and 11. But talking about building those sleep habits, as I got off on a tangent there, how those sleep habits will help optimize performance. They'll help reduce injury risk on top of proper nutrition and sleep and water. You're talking about a lot of things that can maybe at a youth athlete level aid in development and growth while you're at your prime ages and your years of doing that, and with the cold COVID-19 thing, now is a time that you can use that to your advantage, especially if you're growing. And the final thing, obviously, being a gym owner, a strength conditioning coach, performance coach, um, if you're able to get your kid to a strength conditioning or sports performance facility, now is the time. Not that I'm going to pimp my own service, but I'm going to a little bit. Now is the time where you hire someone like me and my staff to help aid your athlete. They can't practice. They can't play games. They can't do organized, anything structure-related. What can they do? They can go to the gym and train. That has not really been an issue from what I've understood. I mean, I've not had a single sport coach call me and say, I don't want my athletes training there. In fact, the opposite has happened where I actually have university-level sport coaches calling me, can my athletes use your facility to train because we can't get on campus? Hell yes, they can. That's exactly what my facility is for, is to try to help any and all athletes become better, regardless of you know where, they, where they're at. And I understand the value of what the strength and conditioning program can do, especially whenever right now the sport coaches and the facilities – and the administrators, they have their hands tied. It's not that they don't want to do stuff. They're just being told they can't. Just like I was told I couldn't open my gym. You know, I had to wait till I was given the green light. They're still waiting on their green light. I've got mine. So, you know, if, if you have the... I guess even if even if resources becomes a question, you're like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to afford that. If you're not playing travel ball, how would you have paid for travel ball? Allocate those funds towards strength and conditioning while you can because I, I can tell you right now I think even if you don't stay long term let's say if someone just takes those sources and allocates them towards me for two or three months to help their kids I think it's going to give your kid an advantage it's going to keep them safe it's going to give them the ability to reduce their injury risk and be a, a top performer in a shortened or unknown season and that could be enough to give your kid an edge in the coming season because then they're not going to be deteriorated or get injured and then have to have a three, six, nine-month recovery period. So I know that's an, a, a far reach, but you have to kind of look at this as like a global scale. As like the, what's the what's the worst-case scenario? And, you know, I'm kind of thinking like torn hamstring ACL sounds pretty like – honestly, doesn't I hate to say this, but it sounds very realistic – um, and it's going to be interesting to see what the injury rates look like after this year because I'm willing to bet they're going to go up. I'm going to guess about 150 to 175% based upon what I've heard Eric Cressy talk about on his podcast already from what he saw in the German League where they're in the first four weeks, they said they saw an increase in 226%. So that's in four weeks. So I'm going to just extrapolate that down a little bit and cross my fingers that with the youth athletes, their susceptibility to getting injured maybe is a little less because they're so young and they're outside playing and everything. But I'm willing to bet anywhere between 100 and 175% increase in injuries this fall. So that's where I think a strength conditioning program can come in handy to help reduce that risk for your athlete um, or for your team if you happen to be a coach listening um, and how that can maybe benefit you guys in the long run. So I think that's about where I'm going to kind of call this. I, I can't really see anything that I kind of glazed over. Um, I think I did a good job of giving you at least a kind of a different, it might a multifocal viewpoint of sport coach, parent, strength and conditioning coach, kind of what we've done. Um, and I can't, this will be my disclaimer that 
I can't say that what we have done is the best because honestly, I don't know. I, I won't know until all this is over and done with um, and we can kind of crunch some numbers and figure out what our, I guess, what our potential injury rates were from our kids. Um, I know as of right now, I don't know how many hours I, I've trained with kids, um, but since our gym's been open, we've only had one actual major injury. And they, I don't even know if it was major, they were actually back um, training within eight weeks. Um, but all the others, we've not had any injuries whatsoever. So I feel like that gives us a, a, a good little bit of information of what we're doing and how productive it's been from a injury prevention standpoint. But like I said, I won't know what that looks like until at least the fall sports are over and the athletes that we've been able to impact if we've been seeing a positive or negative effect from what we've done. We can also say that we don't know what our advice is going to do. Um, I don't know if if any coaches in my area listen to my podcast. I, 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 deep down, I hope that they all do, but I know from a number standpoint that they, they definitely don't. Um, I think I would get some phone calls or some emails if they did. Um, I'm trying to pick my brain a little bit more. <clears throat> Not that I have all the answers, but um, I think if I ha- if if I have just one answer or one recommendation, I already gave it. That's not to run the piss out of the kids. But um, we'll see how all that works in the, in the coming months. Um, if I have to make another episode about something that I notice that changes or benefits, then I obviously would go about doing that, right? But, um, yeah, so I, I think um, I think that pretty much covers everything I wanted to, to discuss on this. I know I'm you know, around the hour point. That's where I like to try to keep these, if at all possible. So um, that's basically my return to play protocol slash actions that I would take um, from a performance realm, the way that I'm looking at it. Again, I'm not a sport coach. Um, I probably never will be anymore. Um, for when I have kids, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole being a gym owner and also be training kids um, or coaching kids at a, at a sport level. I'll probably let my kids learn to be a coach by somebody else whenever that time comes. But, again, I, I think that can give us all some ideas of places to start. I'm more than willing to chat with anybody and everybody, so they can, if you want to get a hold of me, um, all of that's at the end and on the show notes and, and all that kind of stuff. So you can get a hold of me on Instagram. Um, through the DMs, I'm usually pretty good at getting back to those on a relatively timely manner, depending upon the day and what time it is. But um, if, again, yeah, if you got any questions, let me know. Hopefully, you, you took something away that you can use to benefit with this whole COVID nineteen situation. Like we said, it's it's new for everybody. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think there's just some better intelligent based options and some not so good intelligent based options. Um, and we're just trying to do what we can to benefit the athletes and the coaches in a positive line light and um, give them give them the resources to potentially excel on a very unknown season and schedule. And you never know, that can sometimes be a, a gateway to better things in the future. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com, that's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com, and click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram, at Team Thirst, that's T-E-A-M, period, T-H-I-R-S-T, or you can give me a follow at B Smitley, that's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y, for more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, and we'll catch you at the next episode.